I had kind of debated this a little bit, and I'm not, I'm not going to do it, but I had thought, because I didn't want any of the ladies feeling like, you know, you're left out. I was going to have all the men just sit up front and just put the pulpit right down there, and we just, we're going to gather together. But, uh, you know, can, can, can we make sure that uh, as we hear the word tonight, or this morning, excuse me, can we make sure that we have ears to hear? We need them badly. We're, folks, we're hearing so much bad news. Suicide rates are up. Depression rates are up. And there are people that are reporting, and, and not just, you know, loosely. I mean, there are genuine situations taking place right now that it's like I, I wish enough people in positions of leadership would wake up. But this, again, this, this is God at work. And may we have faith that God is doing his will, but at the same time, men, we need to be men of God. So the title this morning is Being God's Man. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. I'm going to be reading four verses and it's, it's four verses that just beg to be preached. I remember hearing many years ago that the Bible was written in outline form. It was, it was literally written to be preached. And this is one of those very prominent examples. And it has a great message, men, for us. You know, they have talked about toxic masculinity. Oh, there's so much I'd like to say about that. But we need to stay on, on, on point this morning. Let's just suffice it to say, you give God your quote-unquote toxic masculinity and just see what God does with it. Ladies, do you think men need to be men? I'm so tired of what we hear from culture. I, um, I, I, I'm, I'm tired enough. We, we wind up having a situation where so often, even in churches, it's culture over Christ. No, Christ is over culture. He is the one that is prominent. Um, don't hold me to it, but I think it's going to happen. But I've been choking on a message for so long now, at least a couple of years. I finally want to preach on slavery. I want, I, I want you know, th there's been so much talk about it. You know, if people... 150, 200 years ago had just been reading their Bibles like they said, 
they would and did, there would have been so much bloodshed that wouldn't have taken place because God has the answers to all this. Islam does not. Humanism does not. God does. Jesus does. So we'll see about that this next week, but I've been, I, I've been choking on it. And when it comes to this morning's message, it's kind of the same thing. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his judgments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way, walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul. There shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, oh Lord, I pray that you'd speak. Lord, there might be disturbances that come here and there or thoughts that come into our minds. Lord, help us to keep on point on this. Help us to be the man by your grace. Thank you for these men. I praise you for the faithfulness of them and the women here as well. I, I'm not worthy to be up here. This, this is only of grace. Everything that we have, it is all of grace. Oh God, help us. We have a calling on us and I pray that you'd help us to quiet our hearts and hear it. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the Bible makes plain something. Proverbs chapter 29, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And that is why our nation is mourning right now. Just recently, this came out a record high. 50% of Americans rate the overall state of moral values in the U.S. as poor. 50%. 37% say it's only fair. Only 1% say it's excellent. And 12% that it's good. Now this came out in May of this year. In May under their values and beliefs poll. On the average, on the average, 
Since 2002, 43% of U.S. adults have rated moral values in the U.S. as poor. Now it's 50%, but on average, since 2002, for the last 20 years, it's been 43%. 38% as fair and 18% as excellent or good. In other words, there is a major chunk of people in this nation that are going, it ain't good. Now, I am sure that a great number of those that believe that are Christians. Does it spur us to action? Does it spur us to the prayer closet? Fox News just had this, this just this last week. According to the United States Census Bureau, 18 and a half million children grow up without fathers. That has led to this. In the world, the United States has the title of the leading nation of fatherlessness. Imagine that. This is the land of millions of Bibles. Fatherlessness. Approximately 80% of single parent homes are led by single mothers. Leading to nearly 25% of youth in America growing up without a father in the home. Has it made a difference? Oh yeah, 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. Over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers originate from homes without fathers. Research, they say, indicates that children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school and represent 90% of all homeless and runaway children. This nation needs godly fathers. Now listen, we, we might be sitting here, even if we're men and not fathers, We might be sitting here and going, boy, I sure hope somebody does something about that. We can. We might not be able to do everything, but we can do something, can't we, men? We can do something. If we've got the prayer closet, we can do more than we think. Sadly, just like Israel, a verse that I came across so many years ago, and many of you, I'm sure, have heard it. You've read it in your Bible reading, Ezekiel 22, 30, and I sought for a man among them. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, and I found none. We've got a problem. Here was a man of God named David. By the way, my wife and I were 
interesting, it was fascinating to find out when we were in Israel, you know, we hear about David so much in preaching out of the Old Testament. But you go to Israel, when it comes to their hero, it's not David. You know who it is? It's Samson. You know why? Revenge. Revenge. That's what Samson got. I'm sorry. Revenge doesn't cut it. A man of God does. You know, God has given us an opportunity here. We are with two men in a room. One is dying. One is getting, on, getting ready to take on the throne of a nation that will be one of the leading powers in the world when he reigns. You study Solomon. And here they are, the two of them in the room. One is dying, one getting ready to become king. And we get to listen in. So I want you to notice the first thing that David tells Solomon. Look at verse 2. He says, listen, be a man for God. Verse 2, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. It's interesting, in 1555, there were two men that were getting ready to go and die for the cause of the Lord Jesus. One's name was Hugh Latimer, the other one, Nicholas Ridley. As they were on their way to the stake, they were going to be burned at the stake for just simply having Christ as their Savior. As they were coming, Latimer uttered these words that so many of us have heard before. He said, be of good cheer, Ridley. Play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace as I trust that it shall never be put out. You know where he got that phrase, play the man? From the passage that we just read. Be a man. Show thyself a man. By the way, you know what's sad? And it's it's worthy for us to listen to this, guys, right now. The place where he said, I pray that it'll never go out, it's just about gone out. Just recently, there was a church, a Baptist church in England, that put up a sign. And it said this, quote, if you think there is no God, you'd better be right, unquote. And above that was a picture of flame. Somebody complained. The police came to the church and said, we're filing a hate crime against you. The pastor took it down. The man, the one man, who complained said this, quote, I was just astounded, really. We live in the 21st century, and they have put that message that non-Christians will burn in hell up to try and scare people into joining their mentality. It is my basic understanding that Christianity is inclusive and loving in nature, unquote. No, Christianity is not. Christianity divides. It divides. 
If you believe, you go one way. If you don't, you go another. That's called division. We call people to believe, trust, turn. But there are those that say no. If you've said yes, say amen. Amen. Praise God for that. When we think of this, when we think of being a man for God, out of verse 2, to me there's a couple of things that come up out of that that we need to focus on. Number one, we need to focus on faith. Remember what Paul told Timothy? 2 Timothy 1.12, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. That's called faith. Listen, a lack of a sovereign mindset is prevalent in our culture. And because it's in our culture, it winds up coming into our churches. We need to have the moral guts, stamina, backbone, whatever you want to call it, and be able to say to a lost and dying world, I know whom I have believed. You can threaten, you can cajole, you can do whatever you want, but I know whom I have believed. And guys, we've got to get that way. We've got to be that way. The more I read, the more I listen, the more I look, and I'm not on the news all the time, but the more that I'm I'm understanding what I'm witnessing, it's this. The wicked one is moving like thunder. Now, who's in charge of him? Praise God. God ruleth over all. But while he is moving to do his, and I'm talking about the wicked one, while he is moving, we ought to be as well. We ought to know where we stand, how we stand, why we stand, and that the fact is that we will continue to stand. I used to tell my kids, and they struggled with this because dad struggled with it too. But I used to tell my kids, there has to come a time when daddy's God becomes your God. And young people, there has to come a time where the God of your fathers becomes your God. Where you can stand up and say, I know whom I have believed. Not only faith, get the faith down, but also vision. If you think about it, what David gave Solomon here was vision. Vision of what he ought to be and do. The fact is, we we all serve a big God. He's bigger than we can possibly imagine. I was sitting here this morning during my prayer time and it just kind of brought tears to my eyes. The very first message that I preached here was out of Hebrews 11. How big is your God? And I got to thinking, if the Lord gives me the opportunity and the Lord tarries down the road when it's my last Sunday here, that's going to be my message again. After all this time, where do we stand? How big is our God? 
We need to act on God's call, heed God's word, and let him grow us. I've been talking to some young people this last week. We need to grow. And he's giving us opportunity in these days. So number one, be a man for God. Number two, obey the word of God. Look at verse three. David continues with Solomon. He says, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, keep his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. Why? That thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. There's a, there's a famous saying, and for those of you that will be coming Wednesday night, uh, you'll hear it. You reap what you sow, but you also reap more than you sow. And you reap later than when you sow. That's not original with me. That's called good old common sense, and it's also Bible. It's also Bible. Listen, when it comes to obeying, we need to have an integrity. All right, we want faith, vision, but what about integrity? Look, look, we're all still human. We all have a flesh. There, there will come that time when you mean to say Saturday and you'll say Wednesday. You, you'll, 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 you'll tell your wife she did something wrong and then she will come back and tell you that no, 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 you're the one that did that. And you'll go, oh, don't ask her. You know, Moody said something interesting. He said, if I wanted to find out whether a man was a Christian, I wouldn't ask his pastor. I'd ask his wife. Ouch. If a man doesn't treat his wife right, I don't want to hear him talk about Christianity. Guys, it begins at home. Not only do we need integrity, we also ought to bend to self-examination. If men of God don't take care of themselves, no one else will, and I guarantee you that the world wants to take you apart. They want to take the nuclear family apart. They've already talked about it. I like what Reagan said. Families must continue to be the foundation of our nation. Families, not government programs, are the best way to make sure our children are properly, properly nourished, our elderly are cared for, our cultural and spiritual heritages are perpetuated, our laws are observed, and our values are preserved. The family, not the government. So when it comes to self-examination, Guys, here's something good, and believe me, I've been on the wrong end of the stick when it comes to this time. Mind our health and habits. Mind our health and our habits. The Lord told his disciples, come away, come apart, and rest a while. We need to take care of ourselves. There have been pastors I have personally heard that bragged they never took a day off. And over the decades, it showed. That is not right. I, 
my, my, we, we were in Santa Maria, and uh, we were teaching there at the Christian school there. It was the church where my wife and I got married. We wound up moving back there. And uh, one day, my parents drive up two hours. My dad's pastoring down in the Thousand Oaks area, and he and my mom drive up to see us. And they leave, and usually it takes about two hours. And they, um, uh, so they left, and two hours went by, three hours, four hours, five hours. We didn't have cell phones at the time, six hours. And finally, mom called. She said, uh, we, uh, <clears throat> we, we took a little detour. Down the road from our house, was a dealership called the Hiking Viking. Everybody in town called them the Swindling Swede. But it was down the road. Not only did they sell cars, <laughs> they sold motorhomes. And my mom and dad stopped and bought a 20-foot motorhome. I couldn't believe it. But you know something? When my dad was pastoring, this is how they survived. He'd get all the work done, all the visitation, everything. On Friday, they got things loaded up into that, into that motorhome as a used 20-footer, and they would drive to Camarillo. Some of you know where Camarillo State Beach is and all that. And they'd spend, they'd spend Friday night. They loved it. We have a 16-foot trailer. Now, it has an owie right now. We've got to fix the refrigerator. But Lord willing, a week from tomorrow, we'll be going up to where we love to camp, and we're going to be gone a couple of nights. Why? Because the preacher needs a break, and so does his secretary. And five weeks later, we're going to take another two-night break. You know, they used to tease Spurgeon, why do, you drive, why do you ride first class in the train? Isn't that a waste of money? He said, no, I'm taking care of God's servant. It's okay to take a break. If you don't take a break, you will take a break. So, you know, self-examination not only mind our health, but also mind our minds. And this is so very important. Are we watching what we think? Again, people are getting stressed out. People are getting stressed out by what they're hearing. And we know it's on purpose. How many of you remember reading Peanuts cartoons? Don't you love, there was, honestly, there was some good theology there because the creator of that was a Christian. But there was, a, there was one penis comic strip. Sally was trying to remember her memory verse for that Sunday and she couldn't remember it. She's trying to think about it. And finally she goes, maybe it was from the book of reevaluation. You know what? That's good theology. We need to reevaluate sometimes. Reevaluate attitudes. Amen. You can't bring a, even a number like this. You can't bring this number together 
and not have situations where people, (laughs) they find entertainment in the other. In other words, we kind of sometimes put each other to the test. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you are happily married? Most of the hands went up. I was looking out the corner of my eye here. I just went. <laughs> my wife said to me one time, she says, you know, sometimes I feel like I have four children. She said that. I gave her permission to, you know. But you know, I think she was right. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. The unrighteous man his thoughts. Paul finishes that thought. 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts himself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The theater of the mind sometimes gets away with murder because we just don't watch it. We need to watch it. We need to watch it. I'm quoting, it seems like I'm quoting Moody a lot this morning, but I remember, I remember coming across this quote so many years ago. I taught it to my kids, taught it to the youth group, where Moody wrote, I'm only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something, and what I can do by the grace of God, I will do. That's good thinking. And then also, accountability. Accountability, just it adds another level of security in the battle against sin. There is a man in this church building right now There's a man here that came to me and said, I want you to be my accountability partner. And every day I get an account of where that person goes on their computer and their phone. That's courage. By the way, men, any man in good standing here in this church, you're welcome to look at my computer at any time to see where it's gone, at any time. And I could look at yours. And all God's men said, seriously, seriously. Because it's important. It's important. There's a fellow, an author by the name of Stu Weber. He's got a book entitled the four pillars of a man's heart. I don't really know much about this guy. I, I really, I don't. But I thought this was interesting because he said there's, there's four ways a man expresses his heart. As a leader, a warrior, a mentor, and a friend. I thought, you know, that's good. Just think about it. A leader, Moses, then Moses stood in the gate, gate of the camp, said, who is on the Lord's side? Joshua He stood up and said, if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. 
But then there's also the warrior. When you think about Abraham, who pursued four kings and four armies with just 318 of them and whooped every one of them. David killed the lion and the bear. Joshua led a group of amateurs around a walled fortress named Jericho and saw it come down. Caleb, 80 years old, 85, excuse me, give me this mountain. Stephen went toe to toe with the Pharisees, paid the price, became the first martyr. Then there's mentor. We're getting that out of this. We're getting what David said to Solomon and then Solomon to his son. Proverbs 3, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. And then as a friend, Proverbs 17, a friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity. By the way, guys, there's not a man in here that we shouldn't be an encourager to. We're, we're, we're not here comparing ourselves among ourselves. We're here encouraging each other. At least we ought to be. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And then lastly, lastly, remember the promises of God. Look at verse 4. That the Lord may continue his word, which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. In closing, how should we embrace those promises? Number one, we should embrace them personally. Personally. Psalm 63, 1, O God, thou art my God. My God. Psalm 42, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for thee, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Men, face it. Really, what's happening here? You're not here and I'm up here and this is all there is. We've got God's word open, which is a living book. Amen? The living God is the one who stirs the heart with the living book. We're not just here hearing somebody speak. We're hearing God move our hearts. Fellas, it's got to be. It has to be more than personal. It's got to be passionate. Psalm 63, verse 1, My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. I was talking to Tim Schmidt before they, uh, before they left. They left yesterday uh, for four weeks, going to be gone. And he was telling me he was just reading a book on, um, oh, all of a sudden the name slips my mind. Saint of the Wilderness, Sheffy. Sheffy. And he was talking about that Sheffy had 
Sheffy, who was a circuit-riding evangelist, had a reputation for this. He was not the best preacher, but he was known for his prayer life. And uh, he was telling me he got to this one part in the book, and I thought this was just great because what they were really stressing was absolute, total reliance on God. How many of you have ever heard Andrew Murray? You've, have you heard Andrew Murray? If you Listen, go to, go to Amazon, get Kindle. You ought to download this. It costs you next to nothing. I think it's like 99 cents. And he wrote a book that I got years ago entitled Absolute Surrender. But it's just this thing of turning everything over to God. And, you know, we've really been thinking about that. And fellas, you... I mean, after all, that's true biblical Christianity. Everything to God. He said he read this one place where Sheffi is praying. He's going through this village, this place. He's hungry. And it's, okay, Lord, where should I eat? Where do you want me to eat? He passes one house that's obviously well-to-do. No. Passes the second house. No. Passes the third house, no. Just God said no. And then here's a shack. And God says, eat here. He knocks on the door. Woman opens the door. Nice black lady standing there says, Brother Sheffy, God told me I'd be feeding you. I've got fried chicken and potatoes and all that. Come on in. You know, God leads. I'm telling you, I hear stories like that. And if my body could still do it, I'd do a backflip. I don't think I could ever do that, actually. But just, you, you know, you, that's okay. I'll get Solomon to do it for me. Hey, any guy that plays soccer, he can do stuff like that, right? <laughs> but you know, seriously, to... to, to to meditate on God and to be totally dependent. I don't want to be in this pulpit in my power. And if I am, it's my fault, it's not God's. And you don't need to hear a preacher preaching in his power. You need to hear God. That's what's needed. That's what's needed. Not only passionately and personally, but prominently. Psalm 63, verse 3. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. That's great. One more passage and then I'm done. Turn to 1 Samuel 17, would you? 1 Samuel 17. It's going to be David again, but first, this, this is going to be a young David. And he's going up against a really big, mean guy. Guy by the name of Goliath. Curses his God. Believes he's going to slay David, no problem. David makes sure that Goliath understands something. What does he make sure? He's good with a slingshot? No. 
You know, their army can beat up your army. No. Look at verse 45, 1 Samuel 17. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, now listen. God's not calling us to go before a Goliath. But he's calling us to go up against those that hate our God. We're not calling the battle, they're calling it. The Philistines came to the Israelites. We live in a day, a wretched day. The world needs to know, going back to where we started, I know whom I have believed. And he has given us the victory. That's being a man of God. David went up before Goliath, not because he was some kind of a a, a fancy fighter, not because he had all the bells and whistles when it comes to the latest technology of the latest weapon of whatever. He came because he was a young man of God who learned that God was with him when he fought the lion and the bear. And he knew that he still had that God. And he was God's man. And that's why he was speaking to Solomon the way he was. I go the way of all the earth. Now you be a man of God. What happened with Solomon? That's a whole different message. But what we need to do is take personally this lesson. Be God's man. Be God's man. Amen, men?